we're going to look at that a little bit, but we, there, there's one thing that we have to maybe uh, realize is we don't see as we ought to see. This is why James, you know, uh, in a couple weeks ago we talked about the wisdom, asking for uh, wisdom, uh, that we would seek it. The, be the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs says, is wisdom. And so Solomon in the Old Testament, and it got ingrained into the life of Israel, is find wisdom at all costs. Whatever it costs you, get it. And if you get it, life will be okay. In the end, you gain and it costs you everything. We, we read in the New Testament where, where uh, Jesus talks about the uh, being the all-wise one and another counselor that will teach us all things. Wisdom. If it costs us everything, give it. But see, we have an ancient issue in our world. And it's one of responsibility. I like to ask this question a lot, and I ask it in many settings. Who is responsible? Whose job is it to be responsible? You know, on a day-to-day -day basis around here, to some extent, who's responsible is me. You know, for the bulletin to get done, Shannon does a lot of work, but it's really my responsibility to get to her. What, has, what happens? Whose responsibility is it to make sure Shannon's are visited? Well, we have a team, deacons and deaconesses, but if they cannot get there, whose job is it ultimately to make sure it happens? Hence why pastors ought to be prayed for. I know that wants to be self-serving. You know, or as I talk about in my end report, uh, you know, heaven forbid we have another issue like we did uh, back in fall where our door downstairs, uh, the drain got stuck, clogged. Uh, and we ended up with water upon water in our basement. Well, nothing against Rusty or Jonathan or, or Natalie or Jevin, but they, they all work. Guess whose job it is to try to suck all that water up? Right here. Now, I didn't do it alone. Dan and Shannon got, Dan and Rusty, they got good equipment. But those things, who is responsible? Part of the issue with our world is we don't ask this question, though. We make it somebody else, we make it our responsibility what is really somebody else's, and we pass our responsibility off onto somebody else. Well, that's not my fault. Or we don't really even take responsibility. I read an article this week that said the most important words we can ever just say is, I'm sorry. But look at many of the apology statements that have ever come out in the past two years. I'm sorry is not part of it. I regret what happened. That's what people will say. It wasn't my intent. But rarely is it ever I'm sorry. We don't want to take personal responsibility. And I think we need to get, regain personal responsibility in our world. There's a quote uh, that I read, or this is a, a, a statement that I read this week, and I couldn't track it down again. To, to sin is human. To blame the divine or someone else is even more human. Have you thought about that? To sin is human. To blame somebody else is even more human than sinning. 
We see it right in the beginning. Eve blames Adam. After Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. In the midst of all that, they said, well, you put this woman here. You did this. Personal responsibility. We need to regain this. Interesting enough, in, in uh, the book, Odyssey, anybody ever read uh, Homer's Odyssey? Okay, a couple of you have, I have. You know, great book, you know, a long book. Uh, the Odyssey, we have this conversation going on amongst the deities of Zeus, the three cultures, where yeah, to some extent, he, he, Zeus says this, how quickly and easily it is for humans to blame us divine for the hardships and struggles of their life without realizing they cause their own grief greater than any destiny by their stupidity and actions. And those, I mean, uh, wow. But for nation upon nation, for years upon years, we lived in a world where we blamed somebody or something outside of us for the issues around us. James has some news for us this morning. And here is the news that James has for us. He says, starting in verse 13, when tempted, no one should ever say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when by their own desires they are dragged away, lured, and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived and grows, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, brought to maturity, brings death. I'm going to start with the bad this morning. The bad is this. The nature of humans, of you and me, is not good. Are we capable of good? Yes. We are great, capable of great good. But we are not good individuals. <clears throat> this is kind of bad. But we got, if we're going to regain personal responsibility, James is saying we have to see this as it is. We are capable of the greatest evils around. Don't believe me? Go to Asia. Go to the battlefields of any great battle. Go to Ukraine and Russia. We would love to say it was somebody, something that it's easy to blame something else outside of us and to say what we are seeing on display is the wrong nature of you and me. And it isn't good. It isn't good. The Holocaust, just this week, I believe, was um, Holocaust Remembrance Day. We, as the people of God, ought to understand this truth. We're living in a world greater and greater that's been removed from the Holocaust and other things will act as if it didn't happen. Or it was just some one-off. I mean, evil was just that evil. Hitler was just that evil. It ain't true. But you know what? 
Christians not to often say, well, it must have just been Satan himself who created that. Because what James is saying here is, no, 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 no. The evil that happens among us is when we allow the desires that are within us to come to full maturity. But it's not a foregone conclusion. As most writers I've read this week is, and if you're a good fisherman, you know, you know that part of the bait of fishing is what? A good lure. You gotta have one that looks enough like uh, what what they would eat. I mean, just think about it. There's a reason we put worms on a hook to go fishing. You know, in our modern methods, we've learned enough about fish that you don't just throw a line with a hook on there and go here, fishy, 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 fishy. I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, Chad, you do some fishing, right? <clears throat> wouldn't it be nice if you could throw something out and say here, fishy, fishy, and got one every time? I mean, that would make fishing much enjoyable, wouldn't it? I, I'm not a fisherman, but I know enough that you've got to have something there to hide the hook. And here's where, here's where it goes. Is sin is, is not just something, inside, sin is inside us, but sin may start with a subtle lie, a subtle non-truth, a subtle of it could be, and it's that flashing lure that the fish go, ooh, something shiny. I wonder what that is. And we're going, dinner. It's dinner. You know, it's a subtle lie. It's a trick that gets us wondering, questioning, hoping, wishing something to be true. Which is, we get it more and more time. It breeds and it grows and it grows. Until we get broke to sin. Now, I, I love what James says here because I think that helps us understand a little bit of what happened in the Garden of Eden with that subtle lie. But when God said, if, if you eat of this tree, you will die, James is kind of giving us some insight here. He wasn't meaning an immediate death. I mean, because, heck, what, what would happen if we immediately died every time we sinned? Well, I wouldn't do any more funerals, that's for certain, because I'm not here. But you want to talk about having a lot of funerals. Now, does that mean that I think everybody on our list died? Sin? No. I mean, yes, they sin, but the, their death is not the cause of sin. We, we, we start to go down, but the end result, if God does not step in, the end result of sin is death. So our world will try to give us an answer. Well, and one of the answers our world will give us is, well, just read this self-help book. Make yourself better. Just be aware of yourself. Do some self-reflection, self-improvement. I'm not opposed to any of those things. Don't hear me. I'm not opposed to self-help, self-reflection, self-improvement. I read who knows how many pages a week, let alone a year. But if this is our goal, guess what happens? We're still focusing on the wrong thing. Hence why we need to have eyes to see and wisdom to discern. We as people of God know that the answer doesn't lie within but Paul, in the book of Romans, would echo the same words as James when he talks about the idea that since the creation of the world, since what can be known about God is plain to us, 
Because, if, but he, let me just back up. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. See where it starts? And we sometimes suppress our own the truth. And James is going to say, we have a father of truth. Because what can be known of God is plain to them. But since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen. And then it says in one of the scariest verses in all of scripture, the last page, it's in verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Our world will tell us, just follow your heart. Hey, just follow your heart. That's where your heart will lead you. Not on good paths always. We can't just follow our hearts. Because our hearts are deceitful. They, they will lead us on a different path. So we must have a different answer. Then just look within. Just follow one's heart. If it feels good, do it. Reality is there's lots of things that feel good that are sin. And sometimes the good things are sin because it's in the wrong context. Of life. That's why we are told to not. But here's the good news. Ready for some good news? I know I've hit you with the hard, the bad, the ugly. You and I are capable of great sin and good. God gives gifts. You see this? See, this is what James, the beauty of what James is doing. He's not just saying, there's sin in you, man, so you're not going to give up. He says, look, if you change the way you look, you'll see there are good gifts coming. And God offers good gifts, even when you are tempted. Here's what Paul would say. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So guess what? Your sin isn't that unique. It's common. Now, I'm not saying everybody has the same sin that you might have, but it's common. There's always someone else who's been in a similar situation. And then he goes on to say this, and God is faithful. Did we not just sing about that? You've been faithful. God is faithful. He doesn't cause you to sin, but when you sin, when that desire starts to grow within you, God is faithful, though he never has to, to pro pro provide you a way out, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I think this is where I said last week, we talk about God will give us more than we can handle. I think we try to get it from here, that we won't be tempted beyond what we can bear. Okay? But we use it in a different context. Any temptation at its beginning, James would say alongside Paul, at its beginning is you can overcome it. You do not, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to sin. You have the power. That's the great song that we believe in Franklin says. You know, I've got the power. You know, you got it. But you, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He, he, he uh, 
as someone who throws a rope, but but he wasn't wanting a rope. So he didn't do anything with it. He let it go back up. Next, he he uh, he he was someone threw down a shovel into this ten ten foot pit. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with the shovel? Why would I use the shovel? He just kind of let it sit there for nothing. And then on and on and on. Finally, someone decided, well, you know what? Uh, what if I have some other people here? Why don't you kind of jump up a little bit and we'll hold on to you? We'll kind of lift you up out. He said, well, why don't you give me a ladder? So the people left. And in his despair, he's, he's praying. He said, Lord, why won't you save me from this pit? And it says, if God says to me back, I sent a rope, I sent a shovel, I sent people. What else are you waiting on? It goes a ladder. And God's like, I gave you three choices. Use what is there. But he had stuck in his mind. He had to have a ladder to get out. A ladder would be much helpful, wouldn't it? But a rope can get you out if you're going to pick you really want out. A shovel, you can start to dig up to some extent. Or at least dig around and put some stuff underneath you. I don't know how high the guy can jump, but I'm going to try to jump my eyes when someone says, I'll reach down and pull you up. I mean, this was before the day of the fire burning, someone could just call him and at least let him down. You know, right? Right? But, but we, we think we have a certain way out of it, and what Paul and James is saying, if you will look, God gives. God gives gifts. He is Faithful. It's faithful. Well, you and I notice the gifts that are all around us. James talks about here. Like, do not be deceived. Do not be, uh, do not let the lie come in that God isn't around. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting sands. He chose to give birth to us through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all the created. God gives gifts. Our task, if you choose to accept it, is notice. One of the interesting uh, books I read uh, this past year it is a book based on research about how to hardwire happiness into your brain. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound almost too good to be true? I'll tell you, it's not too good to be true because it's hard work. You know, it's hard work. And if you don't believe me, you don't have to do this, but you could ask your neighbor uh, to tell you five bad things that happened this week. I'll bet you can rattle those off real quickly. Now, I ask them to tell you five good things that happened this week. You know what happened to my own experiment with this? Uh, uh, my wife didn't yell at me. That doesn't count. I wish she doesn't yell at me anyway, so, you know. But that doesn't count. You know, because it's still not something that didn't happen. Five good things that happened. You know, I love doing this in counseling, because I do. I get this deer in the headlight up. Uh, I don't think anything happened. I said, try again. And I start them out slow. Normally we go two. And then three. And then after a while we get up to five. 
And then I have some people who come in and go, I've been thinking all my way here on what I was gonna, how I was going to answer that question. I'm going, yes, yes, yes. And one of the, the things that that book, I think, gets right is we have to notice the good. We have to notice the good. We, as the people of God, have a God who is faithful to give us every good and pleasing gift that comes from him. So where are they? Now, this isn't a bribe. I have to bribe my kids. Okay? We have to bribe Eliana. And the bribe normally goes like this. Drink your smoothie and I'll get you a wrap. And she is a bargainer. I mean, she is going to negotiate. She could probably negotiate hospital situations and screw up with you. You know, and she ain't going to be that negotiator you want on the other end of that line. Just be like, nope, this is how we're going to do it here. And as long as you do it how I tell you you're going to do it, everything will be okay. We got a bribe, but this isn't, we don't have a God that bribes. That would kind of be a pretty manipulative being, would it not? I'll bribe you to do good. But what he's saying here is when we obey God, God is going, I will give you a good gift. No wonder most of the New Testament, you can find it over and over where there is a reward that will happen for obedience. Crowns of life, crowns of victory, a new name of glory, the writing of the name of God on you. You know, uh, the, the victor's crown, as Paul would say. The well done, good and faithful servant, as Jesus said. Come and experience your master's joy. God desires that we experience his goodness. Have you noticed God's goodness this week? Some weeks are harder than others. You know, some weeks are very hard. I mean, I, 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 it can be hard for me as I go from one county to the next county and I feel like I'm on a rotating door within the hospitals. You know? It can be hard, but we gotta, we got to start being people who, who notice the gifts of God. We have a song, I think, in our hymnal. Let's see what, what page it is on. It's a song I grew up in, and, and it counts it, you know, it talks about this. It says, uh, count your blessings. Yeah, number 786. You know, count your blessings. You know, here's, here's what it says. When upon life billows you are tempest-tossed, I mean, when life is giving you up and down, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, why? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Will you look at others with their lands and gold? Think that Christ has promised you wealth untold. Count your many blessings, money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. See, James is telling you the, 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 the way that we answer the problem of sin is not by looking within. It is by looking without and noticing what God is doing. Why? Because God is the unchanged one. He doesn't have a shot of it. You know, Sarah knows this about uh, photography. Any photographer or video knows shadows are the enemy. 
you know, a great picture and an okay picture is all about shadows. Now you can do amazing stuff with shadows and photography and such. But you don't want a shadow. You don't want when you have a family picture of the tallest one literally overshadowing the person in front or behind. And what we see here is James is saying, look, the lies are a shadow. They may look good, but remember this about shadows. They're not the real thing. One of my favorite times in youth ministry, as I begin to try to wrap up, was when uh, we as uh, we took the kids out in a big parking lot. I did in sidewalk chalk, and I said, "Now draw each other's shadows." You know, and and first off, they were a little concerned what I was asking them to do. Some of them tried to lay down. I said, "No, no, no! You're not allowed to lay down. Stand up and have your partner draw your shadow." What good thing we lived up, or we didn't live, the church was up on a hill because it looked like a really bad crime scene well, once we were done. Can you imagine? But if you draw a shadow pretty well, you can get an idea of person. You know? He gave them enough, but it wasn't the real thing. The writer of Hebrews says this world is a shadow of things to come. A shadow. It's not the real thing. No wonder John, in his vision of glory, of the day that is to come, says there is no sun in the new kingdom, the new city. Why? Because Jesus is the sun. James says, we have the father of lights. He's not like any of the other lights that have been created. He doesn't move around. He doesn't have solar blasts like our sun does. He is constant. There's no shifting and there is no shadow with him. You don't ever have to guess with God. Is it real? Now the desire within us to say, no, it can't be real. It can't be that way. God's like, I got the lie. I got it all. He is the unchanged one. And there is where our hope is. But have you thought what our goal is? See, sometimes we see our goal as the destination, right? Just wait till I get to heaven. And then I will be perfect. Ronnie, maybe in heaven there's a glare everywhere. <laughs> you know, Beth and I are already there. You know, we're getting closer there than the rest of you. Jeff, you're there. You know, we're getting there. You know, but, but when we see perfection, we can't wait for that destination. But you know what James is saying, as well as Jesus and others, the goal is not do we get to our destination. The goal is, has Christ been formed in us? What did Jesus say about light? I am the light of the world. <coughs> What did he say about the followers in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. See, the goal then is that we ought to, to some extent, have so much layer coming out of us that people are kind of like gnats going to the outdoor light. They're just drawn. 
Jesus said, may your good deeds be done in ways that even your enemies see them and glorify God. Not because they go, wow, how are you just that smart of a guy? You know that's not 100% true. That's a subtlety there, right? He didn't even hear it, so it's okay. You know. But it's not about how awesome Calvin is. But it's about the fact that he's reflecting Jesus in such a way people are going, Calvin, I want to know what you know. And if you went to Calvin's, you will find he has about every tool known to man, I think. You know, and he doesn't. Uh, Ronnie and Larry have the other ones. And well, they're not, they're not, they're pretty wise individuals over here. You know, why should they spend the money when he can? That's a great plan. But, but hopefully if someone were to come alongside with Calvin to learn the things he does, it's not just about learning the things that he knows, but it's about going, hey, look, can I, Calvin, go ahead, can I ask you something? What do you, what do you think of Jesus? You know, or Ronnie or Larry, you know, your woodwork, you guys are magnificent in that. And, and someone could come alongside you, but maybe also while, while coming alongside you and doing the work that maybe you can't do as much as you going, hey, what have you ever thought about uh, how things came to be? You know? Wherever we may find ourselves, will we allow the light of Jesus to reflect and glare out of us? So that in all things, we may be as Jesus is. My dear friends, brothers and sisters in the world, may we know that God has given birth to us. We are the first fruits of all nature, proclaiming there is that there is something good to come. You know, back in the Old Testament. James knew the Old Testament, I think, fairly well. There's a story after the Garden of Eden. It's the story of Cain and Abel, where they were asked to bring about an offering to the Lord. And we read this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering fat portion from the Lord, from his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What kind of first fruits do you want others to see? You want to see the ones that are good? I mean, I'm going to cut straight. Are you guys very steer? If someone is, if someone wants to preview your steers and your meat, are you going to show them the lower quality stuff and hope they buy the whole steer? No, right? You know, if they get a, if they get some of that, whether it's a steak, and they go, I don't know about that. You all know why ketchup was created? Cover up bad meat. Honestly, it was to cover up 
five meals. If someone has to put a lot of ketchup because they, they've eaten, they're going, ooh, that taste is, ooh, ooh, you know, I feel that fermenting already. You know, it ain't going to be good. But if, if, if you gave them a choice, the choice steaks, and look, hey, look how good this is, man, they'll come back for more. Or, or Chad, I know you breed livestock. You ain't, you ain't showing the run because they pick up the litter, are you? You're, you're showing the good one. And if they get, oh, he can eat this good, I'll go back. Friends, as believers right now in who Jesus is, we are the first fruits among God to the whole world to say, look what God can do. No wonder we need to let the word of truth well, so much in us that it becomes mature, thus giving life. God has chosen all who believe as a first fruits, proclaiming good things are to come. But we must tackle the sin within us to do it. We must be willing to have Christ formed in us. Yeah, we'll get to heaven. You know, Paul talks about <coughs> you know, the idea that uh, in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3, it's on your devotions this week, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, our work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to life in the day. It will be revealed the fire, the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even only though as one escaping through the fire. I really don't want us as a church, you as a believer, to when, when the, the refiner's fire takes through and looks at Dan, and, and Dan's work has to go, and it, it gets refined, all the impurities, I'd hate for Dan to hear on the back end. Ooh. You know, when, when, when Bonnie gets the glory and, and she says, I, I don't know what I did, but he, and Jesus says, well, here, let's, let me show you what you did. And, and it gets refined. It's like a pure 99.99% pure gold. She's already going, that ain't going to happen. What are you talking about? And see what Jesus does, what Jesus will do. And he will go, wow, well done. Good and faithful. This isn't for 
By the grace of God, this is what can happen. This is what will happen if we will allow the thought of Jesus to be sweeter than anything we might even have to talk about here real soon. Don't worry. We'll get there. But if we will allow Jesus to give us eyes to see who he is, who we are, and the fact that even though we are sent forth, he is full of grace and truth. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you are full of grace and truth. That there is not a subtleness of lying within you. There is not a subtleness of, 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 of doubt within you. There is not a subtleness of evil within you. But you are true. Fully true. And that you are full of grace. Oh Lord, I'm grace. I mess up way too many times. But yet you are gracious and you are faithful in your grace to show us your truth. So Lord, may I see the good gifts you have given me this week as I seek to look to you, the author and perfecter of all things. And I seek to take personal responsibility I mess up. Period. Okay, I have this on the back. The yes. personal responsibility of peace. There you go. We have personal responsibility for the computer. That works. Lord, you got it. Go figure. Lord, you can remind me again with that. The Lord, you are good. You are good. The Lord remind us. And maybe remind ourselves of who we are and we have been chosen. We are your first fruits. We are yours. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.